0: This episode is brought to you by a grant from Family Nation and from listeners like you. Thank you. I'm Julian G. Simmons, and this is Our Gen Pod. Welcome back, everyone. And for those of you who are new to our podcast, welcome. If you've been listening to our previous episodes, you know we focus on listeners who are over 55. We talk about topics of interest that affect the quality of our lives. Today, we're looking at a serious problem that many of us know well being sidelined and overlooked, of feeling and actually becoming more and more isolated as we age. That's ageism, and it is a serious problem in America. It causes loneliness, depression, illness, and can literally cut years off your lifespan. A lot of us can't afford to retire or just want to keep working, but we discover those doors to opportunity are suddenly slammed in our face. We sense it just reading the news or watching television. Ageism is constantly staring us in the face. But today's guest points out something surprising. When it comes to ageism, we can be our own worst enemy. We buy into the prejudice that shuns us and we just play along, stepping aside. The good news is we can change our own internal ageist attitudes into a force for change good change. In the stagnant world of ageism, our guest is a breath of fresh air, the brilliant author of the new book, This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism, Ashton Applewhite. This Chair Rocks is a powerful and insightful book, and I highly recommend it to all of you. We'll have a link on our website, rgenpod.com. Ashton is a leading spokesperson for the emerging movement to raise awareness of ageism and how to dismantle it. She has been recognized by the New York Times, The New Yorker, National Public Radio, and the American Society on Aging as an expert on ageism. She has written for Harper's, The Guardian, and The New York Times. She is an author of the blogs This Chair Rocks and Yo, Is This Ageist? She has spoken at major venues, including the TED main stage and the United Nations. In 2022, Ashton Applewhite appeared on Help Age USA's inaugural 60 over 60 list and on Female One first international edition of 40 over 40, the world's most inspiring women, and received the Maggie Kuhn Award from PSS a New York agency whose mission is to strengthen the capacity of older New Yorkers. Here is my conversation with Ashton Applewhite. Hello, Ashton Applewhite. Welcome to Pod. It's so thrilling to have you here. After watching your TED Talk and reading your book, I just, Thought, oh my God, I just have to talk to this woman because it was so. I, I, You're fangirling. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it. And the other thing was how much I learned about my own internal ageism and how I ended up seeing it everywhere. That's the best comment in the world. Thank you for admitting that
1: because that's when you, that means you've embarked on the hardest and most necessary part. The rest is easier.
0: Yeah, I hope so. And I hope we can do something about <laughs> it. So, what is ageism?
1: Dictionary definition is discrimination and stereotyping on the basis of age. I like to say that we are being ageist, and we are all ageist, anytime we make an assumption about a person or a group of people based on how old we think they are. and We live in an incredibly youth-obsessed culture, so most ageist commentary, negative commentary is directed against later life, but ageism cuts both ways. Younger people experience a lot of it, and it really casts a shadow across our whole lives. It does.
0: So what are the different
1: types of ageism? Well, I would say the two types are internalized, which is when we all have heard these negative messages and the attitudes start to form in early childhood about the same time as attitudes towards race and gender. And one of the zillion things that I was absolutely surprised to learn was that older people can be the most ageist of all because we have had a lifetime to internalize these messages, to have them become part of our identity because we've never stopped to challenge them. So that's internalized bias. And then there's structural bias, which is discrimination, how economic or social policies reinforce segregation or make it harder for people under or over a given age to get heard or get started. Mm -hmm. The World Health Organization launched a global campaign to combat ageism a year ago. And I like to point out it's not the World old people organization you know they realize that the biggest obstacle to healthy lives is ageism which is pretty amazing if you think about it and they divide ageism into how you think feel and act about aging and age
0: yeah they, they said that it can shorten your lifespan by seven and a half years yeah is that right
1: well that is actually researched by becca levy whose brand new book i happen to have a copy of right here she's, oh wow yeah, yeah she's an epidemiologist and a psychologist at yale and the title is Breaking the Age Code, How Your Beliefs About Aging Determine How Long and Well You Live. And she has been studying for decades now exactly how what we think about aging affects how our minds and bodies function at the cellular level. My favorite of her findings is that people, that she tends to frame it as a positive attitude towards aging. I like to think of it as a fact rather than fear-based Attitude, because I don't want it to sound like you put some happy gloss or ignore the scary stuff, right, which is real. But mm-hmm. people with this more realistic, nuanced understanding of aging, who don't equate aging with the decline and despair, are less likely to get Alzheimer's even if they have the gene that predisposes us to the disease.
0: Which I have. You do? Yeah. Well, then
1: you are, you are doing everything you can. What you are doing right now is the single Most effective, and to my mind, the only way you can help prevent getting Alzheimer's is to educate yourself so that the myths and stereotypes don't fill your brain with negative assumptions that are probably not going to come true. It was Levy's research quite a while ago that established that people with this deeper and more accurate understanding of aging. That And again, not to say that the scary stuff is not real, but that also understand it for what it is, which is a time of growth and purpose and meaning and value, like any other stage of life, live an average of seven and a half years longer. And this is why the World Health Organization launched a global campaign about it.
0: It's kind of a, well, for me personally, it feels like a balancing act, like I have to keep myself in check all the time like i i have a very youthful spirit and i i don't know if that's ages to say that even
1: well why would, what's what do you mean by youthful spirit how would you describe what you're feeling was, without using the word youthful
0: i'll give you a perfect example years ago there was a a reverend reverend george Regis at all saint's episcopal church in pasadena and he was known as a real progressive minister. And I used to love his sermons because he just had this way of reaching out to you like he's talking to you personally, which is a real gift, I think, with a preacher. But one Sunday, he was saying, you know, I woke up this morning and I went into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I went, oh my God, who is that 64-year-old person? I'm only 16. And to me, it was like, there is this thing about the soul, maybe not 16, but that's ageless. That doesn't necessarily reflect how you might look physically in your years.
1: I mean, it's something I've thought about. And one of my favorite passages in the book is about the word ageless. And I am on this, as on many things, way less doctrinaire than I used to be because I don't love the word because you see it so often for with good reason on cosmetics and because you know anti-aging it'll make you ageless and I know this word won't catch on but I say how about age full because we are the sum of all our years our years are what make us us. Right, you you are the sum of all these experiences. Why strip away the most precious thing we have acquired, which is all these experiences? So I don't love ageless, but someone was in a reading and she called me out, and she said, "You know, I think the spirit is ageless." So far be it from me to argue with her or you on that. But the word you used was youthful, and I think that that is an it is an ageless tendency. To use youth to mean insert good thing and, and old. So I feel so old. Yeah. What that really yeah. means is I feel useless, I feel ugly, I feel sexless, I feel inept all things we can feel at any age. Yeah. So, your youthful spirit, you know, you do have like a boyish way about you, I can see. But I think what you really mean is y- you have energy, you have appetite, you are curious. Yeah. And yeah, those absolutely. It's probably how you were when you were 12 and how you're going to be at 112.
0: I also think that for years, I was in public relations and advertising. And I think that a lot of the words like ageless have been abused by commercial advertising in a way that they have twisted the meanings to mean something that maybe it originally wasn't meant in its definition. But I, And I think that's one of the hugest problems we have with ageism is how we are perceived commercially and how
1: we see ourselves. I mean, I have a talk about aging while female that starts with that brutal thing of looking in the mirror and going, what the hell happened? Which I try really hard not to do. I've had a while to work on this, but sometimes it sneaks up on me, you know, and ideally we think, well, how about, you know, (laughs) I look like this because of all the things that did happen and think how they were amazing, you know, many of them. And, and, make a distance between that and the equation of youth and beauty and, you know, wrinkles with ugliness and all of that, step back and question that narrative, which is hard to do.
0: When do you think ageism started in our culture? Is there a definitive point where it started to show its face in Society. It's not like there was no ageism, and,
1: and, and then there was. But a bunch of things happened, mainly in the in the 19th century. There started to be a lot more old age. Right, that was one thing. People started living longer and that was also a time when industrialization happened, urbanization happened, the nursing home got invented, the retirement home got invented, which were age-segregating factors, higher education, we we started spending more time in school, that's also a highly age-segregating force. So all these things combined to separate age groups and also to sort of change the way we saw age. Apparently, in 19th century America and before, a lot of people didn't even know how old they were. People lived in small communities. All ages were mixed up. You went to the one-room schoolhouse, you hit puberty, and pretty soon you got married and you had a family and you worked your butt off and then you died. Like, you know, the invention of adolescence, for example, was another thing that happened. So we had more time to think about age in ways that were not always very helpful because, Newsflash, we live in a high highly consumer-oriented capitalist society and age was kind of turned into a problem that could be solved and there were like social security got invented which lifted you know millions of older Americans out of poverty but had the double-edged consequence of sort of creating this idea of a point at which older people had to retire in order to qualify for it and then became sort of economic dead weight which is not at all the case for lots of reasons I won't go into.
0: You said something interesting, and I remember you know, your discussion of that earlier in your book. I started thinking about the idea of separating, like putting people in nursing mm-hmm. homes and retirement communities and things like that, and how it, it made me think of... I did a lot of research some years ago on the Holocaust, for example, and trying to figure out what, why it happened and how it happened and all that. And my family is originally from Poland. And I realized that one of the big problems was ignorance. Ignorance because Jewish people were separated from the rest of the community. And it seems that not knowing or understanding breeds kind of a fear into people that there's an enemy out there. There's the us and the them as opposed to the we.
1: Absolutely. And it allows stereotypes to go unquestioned. Exactly. And stereotypes are at the root of all prejudice. If you're never with people who don't worship the way you do or have the same skin color that you do or whatever, then you don't have the basis to challenge what you might have you know, empirically from your own experience. We can read a lot of books and listen to a lot of podcasts, but if you know or are friends with people who are different from you in those ways, then that really undoes your sort of ready-made assumptions.
0: Exactly. Do you know much about the way Japanese people, elders, olders, as you say, are treated in society because they seem to have a very different understanding of aging like the grandparents are really an integral part of the family Well that's
1: true in much of the world especially in lower income countries partly because it's it's expensive to have your own house and your own washing machine and your own car so hello capitalism which promotes that indigenous cultures here in the US are multi-generational. Many Hispanic communities tend to have more than one generation living under the same roof. And there is an enormous percentage, I don't have a number, but of people who go into aging services or who or who are less ageist in their own heads because they grew up with their grandparents in the household or their grandchildren in the household. Even just making a friend significantly older or younger than you is an anti ageist act. The idea that the interests of the old and the young are inherently opposed is grotesque. There is no evidence to support this myth of intergenerational conflict. I'm on a tirade about trying to get people to wean ourselves off the word generation. Every time you hear the word boomer, a whole set of associations flood into our minds that we associate with that term and attaching a generational label, which suggests that everyone born within a few years of each other has all these things in common, which is patently impossible. And it leads to stereotyping and divisiveness.
0: Yeah. We uh, I'm not I'm not sure if you're familiar with Bobby Duffy and his book The Generation I Myth. I know the
1: book. Yeah.
0: Y- yeah, so we interviewed him. It hasn't aired yet. But What'd it you was think? Fa- I thought it was fascinating that his findings were that so many of these quote unquote differences don't exist.
1: Exactly. They they don't exist but they are beloved of marketers of demographers of journalists and and to, to be fair we also have a human proclivity we like to put things in buckets and we like to belong to groups and going through something the depression a 911 is a bonding experience so it does shape us to some degree but much 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 less than we think it does the class gender Geography all have much more to do with shaping our lives than age does, than when we happen to be born.
0: But ageism is like the biggest of the isms and it's in seems that it affects be, all of us. I yes. mean, so
1: is sexism, so is racism.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I mean it's so pervasive. Like in the workplace, for example, it's really hard to pinpoint ageism, isn't well, it? Well,
1: it is hard to win an age discrimination suit because the Supreme Court established a higher burden of proof. You have to prove that age is the only reason you were discriminated against, which is a higher standard than if you have to prove racial discrimination or gender discrimination, in which case it doesn't have to be the only factor. And the other problem is that the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which handles these suits, is understaffed and underfunded. There is legislation, bipartisan legislation, now in front of the Senate It passed the House, Called, it's known as POWADA, Protect Older Workers Against Discrimination Act. That would lower the standard of proof. So if you want to do something concrete to help that situation along, press your senator to support POWADA.
0: Is a lot of ageism due to younger people not understanding ageism from our perspective?
1: Well, people like to blame <laughs> Government policy on the fact that it's a bunch of old white guys running things and that they should make room for younger people. It is not your age that makes someone competent or incompetent, a conservative or progressive, pro abortion rights or against abortion rights. It's what's between their ears, right? It's separate from age. The reason the U.S. Congress is full of old white guys is because of entrenched white supremacy patriarchy and a government system in which you can buy your way into office and keep it there by sucking up the corporate subsidies. (laughs) So, right? It's not because of ageism. It's not because there's too many old guys, Mm -hmm. you know, it would be wonderful if it was more diverse, but the structural forces, you know, we always have to zoom out and look at what the structural forces are and who benefits from the current situation, which is a bunch of really rich, older white guys, right? But that's not because of ageism, that's because of capitalism and patriarchy and these larger forces
0: it makes me think of something i have a friend who is on social media and she's forever posting these things about it's those old white guys who are to blame for everything and i think well yeah but i i also say but you know it bothers me every time you say that because i'm one of them and it's, i am it nothing is. like it's that. an
1: ageist and sexist thing to say i mean bernie sanders is an old white guy he thinks very differently from Mitch McConnell. It's just, it's never, you know, you need to look in any situation, no matter what prejudice you're talking about, about what that person does and says, not what they look like.
0: I want to jump to something else. When I was watching your TED Talk, seem to remember that a lot of the people in the audience were younger. And brought up a couple of questions for me. When you speak to people who are in a group that are generally younger, do you finesse what you're going to say to them as opposed to if you were talking to an older group of people?
1: No, I feel actually more confident talking to younger people than older people for a couple of reasons. You know, if they're, if they're older than I am, I far, you know, I feel uncomfortable Addressing what their experience is, because I might have it wrong, and because I feel so strongly that the earlier in life you get the memo that our fears of aging are so out of proportion to reality that their fears are bad for us, and that and when you're young it's really, really hard to imagine being old, and i don 't think that's ageism, I think that's human. But I urge my younger listeners to think of themselves as old people in training. If you acknowledge that someday, if you're lucky, because no one wants to die young, you will be that person, it's an act of imagination that keeps you from getting on this hamster wheel of denial. If I just, you know, buy enough face cream, eat enough kale do enough meditating when we all you know we all have our things run enough marathons that that scary aging thing won't happen to me it's going to happen to you we waste so much of our youth squandering youth and worrying about old age which is a time of life that just about everyone enjoys as they get here which is you know which is why there's the u-curve of happiness that shows that people are most unhappy in midlife and happier at the ends
0: there's one thing I want to jump to, and that was uh, <laughs> something you said towards the end of the book, and that was that you and your husband enjoy electronic music. We do. Which is funny because I, I mentioned it to Rob, our director who you met earlier, because we both love electronic music too. <laughs> <laughs> we always thought we were the outliers there, that we were the only ones who our age And had a similar experience to you of going to a, we were researching a film and we went to a rave.
1: I bet you had fun.
0: Rob said to me, goes, do do you feel like a chaperone? (laughs) (laughs) But actually, it was kind of similar to what, I mean, there were people who stared at us. But there were other people who were like, hey, you know, how great, you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, there's always going to be the jerks. In any domain, there's going to be the jerks and there's going to be the people with closed minds, whatever stereotype you're trying to challenge. I don't, I, I'm not a great dancer. I do strongly dislike being conspicuous because of my age, but I love it too much to not go. And for the few people who are rolling their eyeballs, most of the people aren't paying any attention at all. And some people think it's really cool, which is kind of creepy also because they don't want to be fetishized. But most of the people who look at us go, you know, it's this little maybe cognitive dissonance like, oh, gee, they're they're so much older than most of the other people here. But it doesn't take long for the thought to follow up like, well, it would be cool if I don't have to give this up just because I have kids or just because I get wrinkles.
0: What it made me realize is how many people there may be out there really would like to go do that no kidding and it's their own internal ageism no kidding that prevents them from going you know that they, they say oh i'm too old exactly too this. you know so and they don't end up doing the things that they really i mean it does take some
1: courage you know you do have to say i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah. show up even if, you know, or I'm going to go to the hip restaurant or whatever the thing is. But that is incrementally how we change the culture. It's one of the ways. And I don't advocate, you know, doing something because you think it'll make you quote unquote look young or seem young because it won't. And it just, you won't feel good. You won't feel authentic. But if it's something you want to do, it's never your age that keeps you from doing it. It might be your internalized bias. You might be too lazy. You might be too smart. You might be whatever, but it's, again, it's like, it's not about age. It's about attitude. It's about privilege. It's about access, a million other things, but not age.
0: So do you think that the pandemic aside, do you think that social media prevents or enhances a person's understanding of ageism and accepting I think it depends
1: on who you're following on Instagram or who you're tweeting from, you know, or who you're, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not particularly technically adept, God knows, but in order to do the thing in life that I decided I wanted to do at this point, I needed to become, you know, establish a social media presence. And I have found a Twitter I I like a lot. It's text-based. I'm a writer. But for example, in the pandemic, there was so much linking of ageism and ableism. Remember, the virus was only, that's in quotes, going to kill old and sick people. And I started learning a lot about disability, disability activism and justice, and following Disability Twitter, where it was an immediate access to the inner life, whatever they chose to share, of a enormous disabled community. And that gave me access. I mean, Black TikTok. You know, black Twitter, I, it, they, it is a way to educate ourselves about people who are different from ourselves. I'm sure I live in my little progressive bubble on social media, just as other people live in other kinds of bubbles. So I think the challenge is to diversify your feed and listen to people who don't just reinforce what you think you already know. It's a valuable tool. It also is, can be really
0: toxic. Yeah, unfortunately. This episode is part of our the State of Civility in America series. How do you think we are uncivil in an ageist way? How, how does that show itself?
1: I think it shows itself the same way we are uncivil towards other people. You know, people who are, are, are fatter or darker or thinner or whiter or or in that I think these are scary times. In scary times, we look for scapegoats. We become afraid and fear. fear makes us stupid and brings out the worst in all of us. And so we fall into this us versus them thinking. And I think it's a function of the times at large. And I think... The, the target of our incivility depends on the situation and what you're worried about and who you're feeling protective of rather than having particularly to do with age. Age is the least examined of all the social prejudices and we can't challenge bias unless we're aware of it. So I think part of the reason there's a lot of ageism is that it has not been brought to the fore. We already know that racism and sexism and homophobia reinforce each other. Let's add ageism to that list. We're not starting from scratch here. We're simply saying age is another thing we cannot change about ourselves that should not be the basis for being treated differently.
0: That brings up something that I remember from your book, and that was an example you gave of giving up a seat on public transportation on a bus or on the subway or whatever, and the signs themselves, which you said in their own way are ageist.
1: The question of whether you should offer your seat or accept the offer of a seat on the proverbial bus is not a simple one. Because a lot of older people say, hell no, or drop dead, or how dare you? They are insulted. And the person offering the seat is wondering, if I, if I offer this woman a seat, is she going to bot me with her umbrella? And it shouldn't be that way. It is a kind offer to offer someone a seat. And ideally, we would all see it as a kind offer and not bite the head of the person who offers. The offering person should offer it in a way that the person can decline. But the underneath that is why do we decline? We decline because of our internalized ageism and ableism that says I must, which is true, I must look old enough or wobbly enough to possibly need that seat. And the stigma around that is so terrible that we have to say, no, no, no. I mean, I have heard from so many doctors that have patients all ages, but these conditions do become more common as we get old, who are more tippy on their feet. My balance is nowhere near as good as it used to be, but who will not use canes or walkers. I met an older guy who used to go and uh, all the restaurants in his neighborhood and he he had toys and played with kids. He was beloved. He incurred some health conditions such that he had to use a wheelchair. He never went out again because the shame. So what we need to work at is look at the stigma And see that there is no shame in using a wheelchair. There is no shame in saying, thank you, I would love this seat, right? Because it doesn't mean we're lesser. And it's a kind offer. Or say, thanks for offering, but I don't need that seat. You you stay comfy.
0: There was one other point that stuck in my head about that public transportation story, which is it should just be that if somebody needs a seat and you can tell they need it, give them the seat.
1: Well, if you guess, you know it could be a pregnant woman. Right. It could be a young person with a disability. The problem with some of the subway ads is that the typical depiction of an older person is someone hunched over, and it should be please give not please give this seat to like a sad sack decrepit old person. It should say please give this seat to anyone you think might be able to use it, which is just what you said. But likewise, the person doing the offering needs to respect the answer. People who are unsteady on their pins or who are sight impaired do not like it when someone comes up and grabs their elbow. Ask and respect the answer. Listen and respect the answer,
0: whatever it is. I have something else I wanted to add to what you were were just saying, and that was about that, that internal ageism thing about not wanting to use the wheelchair because of how it might look.
1: That's internalized ableism
0: ableism okay
1: we conflate the two when we are worried about loss of physical or mental capacity it's not about age plenty of people are born unable to walk right or unable to see yeah but we conflate the two and then what happens is the fear is so great that it compounds the stigma i may be old but at least i'm not in a wheelchair i may be in a wheelchair but at least i'm not old so you have double stigma instead of looking at the ways that these two communities can learn from each other. I mean, think what we olders could learn from the disability community, which is fierce and kick-ass and celebrates interdependence and says, my disability is part of who I am. It's not something I'm ashamed of. You know, so think what we could learn from them about adapting to impairment. And, you know, they could learn a thing or two from us.
0: There was something that came up for me when you were talking about the wheelchair and it was about learned helplessness Mm -hmm. and it reminded me of a dear friend who is now 98 but many years ago when she was still very ambulatory, walking around and we were dancing, doing all kinds of things. And and so was her husband. They were very active. She went to the doctor. And I remember this so specifically, she went to the doctor and the doctor said, Well, you know, you you have osteoporosis and you have to be really careful when you walk. Well, there was this like overnight switch in her behavior where she wow. was afraid to go up and down stairs because of what this doctor told her. And more than once, she said to me, well, my doctor said. And I said, but you're able yeah. to walk. So why are you doing yeah. this yourself? I
1: mean, it's complicated. She should use the railing. I had a shoulder replacement this fall, and the doctor said, use the railing. And I use the railing now. I use it when I go down in the subways. I'm not going to prove that I don't need to use the railing, but it is important also, so it's a dance. There's so much resistance to appearing incapacitated in any way that people shun railings or they go in the other direction like your friend. I think of my partner's parents who were both mobility impaired. Bill shattered his ankle when the plane he was piloting was shot down over occupied Belgium and Ruth had had polio And they moved with difficulty, but by God, they would get around their apartment. They had all sorts of stuff to lean on and make their egg salad sandwich and get to the table and get back and clean it up. And towards the very end of their lives, they did get home health assistants who made the egg salad for them. And once they didn't have to heave themselves around to stand at the counter and clean the plates and all of that, the medical term I think is decompensated their bodies stopped functioning as well, because they didn't have to go do it. That's why you see in these Anatolian villages, these people who look like they're a million years old, who are all bent <laughs> over and whatever, but they got to get up to the hillside to get the goats, or for all it's I know, to get their, whatever it is, but you get around <laughs> if you need to get around. <laughs> all
0: right. Yeah, it made me think of The medical profession, you talked about the lack of geriatricians and how the view is often to correct the problem when the problem happens as opposed to preventing the problem from ever happening in the first place.
1: I mean, there's very few actual diseases of old age. Most of them are conditions that we incurred when we were young. And you know, there's a famous line, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. It's yeah. hard to look ahead. Or just even if you do take good care of yourself, I have pretty bad arthritis and I don't think it was preventable. God knows it wasn't my athletic talent that <laughs> made me need a shoulder replacement. You know, stuff catches up to you. Cognitive decline is not inevitable, but physical decline is and we age well, not by pretending that this is never going to happen to us or feeling shame about it, but by acknowledging and adapting to them.
0: I want to go back to ageism in in the workforce because for one thing, so many people I know, if there's one thing that they complain about, it's how they can't find work, or the work yeah. that they do find is is just not anywhere near the potential they have, it's just like they're being underused terribly and they're not making any money. In fact, Rob and I started this podcast because the amount of work that was available to us had just diminished tremendously. And it's, it's all age-related, especially here in Hollywood, which is a big problem. I believe you
1: live in the global epicenter of ageism.
0: Oh, my God. It's worse horrible. for women.
1: And it's worse for women of color, of course. And if it, you're disabled, forget it.
0: Uh, you were talking about the whole thing with actresses like Maggie Gyllenhaal. She
1: was in her mid-30s, and she was rejected as the lover of a man in his late 50s as too yeah. old. But she called that out on Twitter and said, this is disgusting. And that takes courage, and I really admire that.
0: Yeah, it does. It takes a lot of courage to call it out, whether you're famous or not. IBM had a policy of intentionally pushing out older workers to make room for the younger ones. It is a
1: fallacy that older workers take jobs away from younger workers. It's called the fallacy of the lump of labor. Economists have debunked it countless times. The amount and nature of labor is not fixed. When times are tight, if there is, you know, if there's only one job in town, then of course you're going to have older and younger people competing for it. But that is not a too many old people problem. That is a labor market problem. So this framing it as, and, and older and younger workers don't typically compete for the same jobs. So when it is framed that way, it, that is a classic example of, of, you know, greedy old people who won't shuffle off stage, or, you know, young people who just want my job and don't respect what I've done and accomplished. Both both of those ways of thinking are ageist, they are ignorant, and they don't bring attention to the larger problem, which is how the labor market is structured and how employers benefit when they can find are older people who make more money because they have been working for longer and bring in a bunch of ill-paid younger workers and use that as a cap to keep wages down for everybody? Ageism, like any prejudice, enables the exploitation of vulnerable people. In this case, it disadvantages older workers and younger workers.
0: When people come to you and they say, Ashton, give me some advice. Now, I am going in to get interviewed for a job. I'm lucky enough I got an interview now and the person who's going to interview me is 35 years younger than I am. How do I make this a winning situation for both of us? How do I get past that? Oh, they're probably thinking I don't want to hire my, my parent or my grandparent or whatever. And I, I see this all the time. So, I'm wondering, have people asked you that?
1: So first of all, let me say that if you need a job to put food on your table and pay your rent and feed your kids, do whatever it takes. I am not here to pass judgment. If when we dye our hair just to cover the gray, leave early accomplishments off our resume, which a lot of websites tell you to do, Those behaviors aren't good for us because they're based in shame about something that shouldn't be shameful. I mean, it's so nutty to think, like, why on earth should experience be a liability? The advice I would give is to say that if you are concerned that I am older than your average employee, here's a whole bunch of reasons why you shouldn't worry about that. Do your homework, obviously. Familiarize yourself with what the organization does and what skills they need and show them that you have the skills. I have been helping companies manage software transitions since I entered the labor force in 1975. So please don't imagine that I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to digital technology. I don't mind having a younger manager.
0: I saw something in the undergraduate law journal where you were quoted about the winning combination of experience and freshness, meaning the experience of the older employee and the freshness of the younger employee that the combination of the two
1: we know this and not just age diverse but racially diverse diverse backgrounds diverse genders all of that what i want people like you to do is when diversity and inclusion are being talked about say is age part of it do you teach people about age equity and if age is missing ask why because there is no good reason for it I get heart-rending messages from people, and it sounds like you do too, Julian, who have sent out hundreds of resumes, who don't get a single callback, or if they do, the interview is over the minute they walk in the door or turn on their camera, which is heartbreaking and disgusting. So, you know, what, but we're not going to change that without addressing ageism in the culture. By, by challenging the very notion. And I think, to, you know, to say age is a criterion for diversity is not exactly earth shattering. It's blindingly obvious. And as if we keep saying it, you know, more only, I think it's 8% of corporations include age diversity as part of their DEI initiatives.
0: Let me just add for our listeners that DEI stands for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion which is supposed to promote the fair treatment and full participation of all people, especially in the workplace, who have historically been underrepresented. And as you say, ageism is pretty much ignored.
1: It's absurd. It's grotesque.
0: There seems to be this perception by younger people that older people don't care about creativity? I think
1: there's a perception that older people maybe aren't creative. I mean, it's not being 60 years old makes you not creative. It's being in the same job, doing the same dumb things for 30 years. Older people aren't trained. They aren't offered trainings. They aren't offered the opportunities that go automatically to younger workers. So if you are being overlooked and not being trained and have a rote job, you are indeed not going to be prepared for challenges and you're going to be bored out of your mind. And none of that fosters creativity. There's tons Mm. of research about how the brain remains plastic until we die, that we can continue to learn new things, that we can tap into creativity in all kinds of interesting ways. The older brain is better at some things than it was when we were younger. Not at everything, but when you have older and younger people on the team, you have complementary Skills. And if you have a diverse employee base, you're going to address the needs of a diverse client base better. You know, it's intuitively obvious.
0: Going back to incivility or civility, there seems to be a systemic impatience with older people. Just like simple things like older people crossing the street, older people maybe taking more time to answer a question. Not meaning that they don't know the answer, but they're just taking a little time to think about it. Yeah, there's
1: that whole theory that we're just sifting through more data and coming up with an arguably better answer than someone who has less to draw on.
0: And that's a mixture of both internal ageism and structural ageism that you were talking about. Or something even
1: broader, a sort of decline of manners in general or kindness, speeding up of things.
0: But do you see that in society? I, I see both.
1: You know, I live in New York City, which is a, which is a tough town. But boy, if someone falls or something like that, they are surrounded immediately by five people, only one of whom is looking to steal their wallet. Just kidding. I mean, I you know, I, I just see people right away coming up and saying, "Are you lost? Can I help you?" Most people are kind. The problem is, is that it only takes one rupture of the fabric of trust for its fragility to be revealed. And this is what's so disturbing about the United States splitting into two completely different nations where kindness and civility seem in short supply. I don't think it has to do in particular with age. I think you could see people of different races or different religions are with different things on their baseball caps, using those perceived divisions as a reason not to treat each other generously and kindly just as much as age.
0: So do you think that ageism now, at least in our world, is just another symptom of this divide of the, the aware and the unaware, the conscious and the unconscious? We like to say, well, it's the the people on the right who are causing all the problems and the right are saying the people on the left so we're both blaming each other instead yeah. of finding that on the ground yeah exactly you talked about in 2015 spending by people 50 plus amounted to 5.6 trillion dollars and that added about 7.6 trillion to the gdp and a lot oh, yeah. of jobs um, supported a lot oh, there's of there's new data,
1: all sorts of new data. I mean, the longevity economy.
0: So how do we, as elders, how do we use that as ammunition to make change? Well, I think we, we boycott. It-
1: the boycott is a powerful tool. I mean, if a company has ageist advertising, don't buy their products and use letters to the editor, which really work, or letters to the head of the company or social media posts to call that stuff out. We have enormous power as consumers.
0: So how do we educate ourselves though, to recognize that Here's ages a really good are- litmus
1: test. If the same comment was being made on the basis of race or sex, would it pass muster? If that was a person with a disability in that situation, or a black person, would those comments get passed without a shrug? And if not, then it's ageist. I have a blog called Yo Is This Ageist, and I created it because ageism is a new idea to many of us, and we can't challenge bias unless we're aware of it. So you know, spend some time on Yo Is This Ageist for some questions about how people have encountered or wonder whether they've encountered ageism in the world. And what I recommend doing about it, if we don't call it out, which does take courage and needs to be done in a neutral way, because if you just put someone on the defensive, they're You've just going to think them. you're a jerk. You've lost them. But a really good all purpose rejoinder to a comment that you think might be ages. Are, are you retired? For example, you know, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. And just let it sit there. Young lady, I really dislike being called young lady because all it does is call attention to the fact that I'm not young. I didn't like young lady when I was a young lady right. so what what do you mean by that and let it sit there because you want to force frankly that moment of reflection without jumping on them without saying you shouldn't say that, which I, I sometimes like I'm not so good at backing off of a bit, but by Asking that question, we do get people to think about, well, what did they mean by that? You look great for your age. What do you mean by that? Mm. You look great for your age, too.
0: Yeah. So as far as some of the more recent data that's come out about older people and not necessarily ageism, but just the older segment of society... What of the more recent data that's come out have you found encouraging or surprising? Well,
1: there's more and more data about the prevalence of ageism, which I think is great because mm-hmm. it means we're becoming more aware of it. There was, There's always so much hand-wringing around anything age-related because of ageism in the culture. A lot of it around the, in the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, well, the pandemic made ageism so much worse. No, it didn't. It brought age and aging out of the corners into the center of the room, and it exposed what has been around us all the time. I am a co-creator of a site called the Old School Anti-Ageism Clearinghouse, oldschool.info. And when we started it three and a half years ago, we didn't even have a campaign section. And now it's one of our fastest growing sections evidence that a global movement and ageism is underway. If you don't believe me, look at all the campaigns that have cropped up around the world. So go to oldschool.info and look around. There's trainings, there's animations, there's videos, there's workshops, there's tools, there's books. Everything is free, by the way, except the books. Educate yourself because the very best thing you can do, I mean, you have read my book. You cannot read my book without feeling better about the years ahead. By 2050, if we don't do something about ageism, Becca Levy of Yale has calculated the annual cost of ageism in healthcare, to be in the billions. Ageism costs money. Older people contribute money. There is no logic to this. The question is, how do we get the stories out there that help people understand our role in it as as, as inner ageists ourselves and how to speak out about it and bring it to people's attentions?
0: What would you recommend to our listeners that they do? How can they shake things up and maybe change the way they look at things or actually be more proactive in changing that systemic ageism that is happening? In their well, own small ways, and, people are like, well, what can I do? I'm one person. Well,
1: and and not everyone as an activist think how intolerable the world would be if it were full of activists.
0: But- right. <laughs> yes. any. Yes.
1: In- Anytime you change your thinking about anything, even, I mean, I I have been working on upping my anti-racist game, especially since Black Lives Matter m- made me think about it more and I started reading a lot and now I am better at catching myself in an ageist assumption or, a, you know, an ageist thought that crosses my mind. Simply by noticing it in myself, I am changing myself and making the world four atoms less ageist in the two inches around me. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that any, any, any step you take changes the culture. It is It actually brings us back full circle to where we started was you realized on reading my book, geez, I am ageist. We can't challenge bias unless we're aware of it. So the first and most important step is to look at your own attitudes towards age and ageing. Think about whether you blame every ache on pain, on aging, and whether it might have been because you're actually hungover or you moved a sofa yesterday, you know, or whether the young people who were doing that stuff with you, jumping around at the club in the middle of the night, they're probably super stiff too, right? So question the reflexive tendency to blame every physical problem on age, for example. Think about how you use the words old and young or youthful. And then stop and think about the feeling you're actually describing because I guarantee it's not about how old you are because someone younger than you might feel the exact opposite way and someone older than you might be ready to climb that mountain that you don't feel like it, right? So think about how you use the words old and young and try and break the habit of associating young with all sorts of positive attributes and old with negative ones.
0: Well, thank you so much for being with us. I, and I have to say that I really encourage all of our listeners to read your book because it really made me change the way I look at things. And I'm not just saying that. It really did. And thank you. And was it fun to read? It was fun to read. <laughs> and like I said, you should be an audiobook narrator. <laughs> You've got a second career there if you want In my next life. <laughs> So, anyway, thank you so much for your time, Ashton. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Julian. You take care. Pleasure. You too. Bye. What I loved about my conversation with Ashton is it wasn't all doom and gloom. I was afraid it was going to leave me feeling helpless about ageism, but between reading her incredible book and our lively and very uplifting conversation, I felt very positive that we, individually and collectively, can harness our power to make some changes to rid our society of ageism. It's going to take some work, and it won't happen overnight, maybe not even in our lifetime, but we could certainly move the dial in a more positive direction. One way of tackling ageism is breaking down the barriers between generations, For decades, most of us have just accepted the idea that there's some kind of immovable wall between boomers, millennials, Gen Xers, but in our next episode, we're going to knock down that wall. Bobby Duffy, who was a professor at King's College London, has just come out with a groundbreaking book called The Generation Myth. We'll learn about the fallacy of those generational divisions, and we'll discover that the key to happiness may just be in making friends of all ages. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter to know when that episode is coming up. We're also working on the very idea of friendship. What does it mean to you? We're collecting some fascinating comments from listeners, and we want to hear from you as well. You can use the cool new app on our website to send us your comments. Just go to the comment page on ourgenpod.com and follow the instructions to join the conversation. I'm Julian G. Simmons. Thanks for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all content in this podcast is copyright unauthorized films. This podcast includes copyrighted material, which has not always been specifically authorized by the copyright owner. This content is used only where it is the specific subject of commentary by us and our guests as part of our effort to advance understanding of issues of social and historical significance. We believe that this constitutes a fair use of the material in accordance with the Fair Use Section of U.S. Copyright Law Section 107, which reads, The fair use of a copyrighted work for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, or research is not an infringement of copyright. Further information on this claim of fair use may be found on our website at rgenpod.com.